You can see in your bulletin that we will worship our God now in the reading and the hearing and the preaching of his word. And to that end, we are turning to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. Our theme in this sermon series is what we've been calling the habits of grace, and I will say we are nearing the end of the sermon series that we've been about for several months now. The habits of grace, the idea being that the Christian life that we're called to live, it is a life in which we are driven by the grace of God in order to seek the grace of God, and we find it. We find his grace and experience it in part as he smiles upon our regular efforts to seek and serve him. And so we've been calling this the habits of grace. What are the rhythms and the routines and the disciplines that shape our lives as Christians as we go after God's grace? And last week we talked about the particular habit that we call self-examination. In other words, we ought to be the kind of people who regularly examine ourselves in the light of God's Word. That's one of the rhythms that shape our lives. And we turned last week to Psalm 139 in order to learn about that. Remember the way that psalm ends. David says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Psalm 139. And just like David in that psalm, we want to be the kind of people who know ourselves well in the light of God's word. And as we, as we discussed last week, if that's going to be true of us, if we are going to be a people who know ourselves well in the light of God's word, well, then we're going to have to do something about it. We're going to have to be involved. We're going to have to make it our own habit of heart and mind to look at ourselves in the mirror that is God's word so that we can see the graces that we ought to be grateful for, as well as seeing the sins that we still need to work on. So that's the idea, self-examination. That's what we talked about last week. Well, one of the things that came up last Sunday in our sermon discussion, and it's related to that idea of self-examination, is what we might call the companion calling. That as a church family, we ought to be the kind of people for one another who encourage one another to examine ourselves like that. We want to be that kind of family, that kind of family of truth, in which we find ourselves. And why? Well, because we ought to have a certain level of healthy mistrust when it comes to the accuracy with which we can know ourselves on our own. The way we see ourselves on our own can be skewed. And don't we all know that? We can be too hard on ourselves so that we miss the graces that God has worked on us, we can also be too easy on ourselves so that we miss the sins that we still need to work on. And so it's good for us to be part of a family of truth, to have the kind of fellowship in our lives in which we speak the truth to one another, 
in which we embrace and stand for the truth together so that our view of ourselves isn't so off base after all. We want to be that kind of family of truth together. And Ephesians 4 is a great place to go for that. Because over and over again in this chapter, Paul keeps talking about the way we ought to speak the truth to one another in our fellowship. So let me read for us from Ephesians 4. I'm not going to read this whole chapter. I think the way I've put it in your bulletin is selections. So let me read for us a few selections from Ephesians 4. Starting in verse 14. Verse 14, he's talking about the ministry of the word. And the goal is this, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So there is that language of speaking the truth in love. Skip down now to verse 25 and we'll keep going. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. And then back to speech. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word, which we have just heard. We thank you for your word, for it is light and life. And we live in what is a dark and deathly world. And so we need light and life. And here we find it. And we pray that you would open our eyes, that we might see it. Father, would you open our eyes that we might behold the wonders that you have for us here, even Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. So as I was saying when we got started, we ought to have this healthy level of mistrust when it comes to the accuracy 
with which we come to see ourselves on our own. The reality is we don't always perceive accurately what the mirror is showing us on our own. There can be a mismatch between what we ought to see and what we actually see. And that can be true physically. The analogy isn't isn't hard to find. You look at yourself in the mirror and you say, "Ah, I don't know about this shirt. And somebody else is there to say, no, actually, that shirt looks great on you. Buy it and wear it frequently. And we couldn't see it. And we needed somebody else as a speaker of the truth to help us to see it. Or conversely, you say, man, the shirt looks great on me. And somebody else is there to say, are you sure? The combination paisley plaid pattern might not be the best look for you. Why don't we look for a solid green instead? And we couldn't see it. And we needed somebody else to speak the truth gently, lovingly. This can be true physically. Well, this can also be true spiritually and morally. The way we see ourselves on our own can be skewed as we look to see our own faith in Christ and our life in Christ by which we honor him. And that is one of the many reasons why we want it to be the case that we're connected with fellow believers in a family of truth. That, in part, is what guards us against being entirely isolated and immersed in our own private perspective. And as I said, that's why we're turning to Ephesians 4, because here in this chapter, Paul has a wide variety of things to say about life in the body of Christ. And what he keeps coming back to, and we just heard it, what he keeps coming back to throughout this chapter is the idea of speaking the truth to one another in the body of Christ. That, in part, is what guards us against being isolated, immersed in our own perspective, including the perspective that we have on ourselves. So I read for us selections from this chapter. If you flip over to the back of your bulletin, you can see the verses that I want us to focus on here. Starting with verse 15. Verse 15, Paul says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. And there's something about that phrase, that short and sweet phrase, speaking the truth in love. The idea being that it's possible to handle the truth in our speech in a way that is loving. And that's something, you think about the life of the church, the life of any congregation. That's something that goes on in the life of the congregation in so many different ways, speaking the truth in love. So, for example, it ought to happen from the pulpit. It ought to be true of the church's formal, official ministry from the pulpit, that the truth is spoken and that it's spoken in love. So the church's official preaching and teaching ministry ought to be marked by this. But then it also happens in all of those little conversations that we have with one another throughout the week in which we speak the truth in love to one another. Maybe it's a conversation that just 
happens by the way, on the phone, or in texts, or over coffee. Maybe it's a conversation that didn't just happen by the way with a fellow believer. Maybe it had to be planned because truthful words had to be spoken deliberately. Words of comfort to somebody who's brokenhearted. Words of rebuke to somebody who's holding on to sin. Words of affirmation to somebody who's clearly glorifying God and perhaps they cannot see it. Words of wisdom to somebody who's struggling to know where to plant their next step. Whatever it might be, this is something that ought to be characteristic of our life as a body, that we speak the truth in love to one another. And stop and think about what that requires of us, if that's going to be true of us. What that means for us practically. Well, first of all, it means that we need to know the truth in the first place. That's how we have something to say to one another beyond talking about the weather and sports and politics. We need to know what God's Word teaches. And so we need to be in the Word regularly so that we know it. So there's that. First of all, we need to know the truth. Second of all, it means that we need to be willing to speak the truth that we've learned. We need to have that kind of openness with one another. We we don't look at the truth that we come to find here as a private possession to be kept and hidden away. But there comes to be an openness of communication that we experience with one another. So there's that as well. So we need to know the truth. We need to be willing to share it. And third of all, it means that we're to speak the truth In love. In love. And that's where things can really get challenging. What does that mean? What does it mean to speak the truth in love? Well, it means these two things at least, and we will call them context and character. Context and character. First of all, it means that love ought to be the context of our truth speaking. What I mean by that is this. Love ought to characterize our whole life as a church in such a way that love is the atmosphere in which all of our truth-speaking goes on. It's the very air that we breathe in the church. We breathe in love. And we exhale the truth as those who have done so. Love ought to be the context of our truth-speaking. And second of all, it means that love ought to be the character of our truth speaking. In other words, the way that we speak the truth to one another ought to be marked by an evident love for one another in the way that we're speaking it, in the moment that we're speaking it. And that gets very concrete, very practical, because it touches down in the way that we go about our speaking and listening with one another. It's very concrete, very practical. All you've got to do is stop and think about a time when a fellow Christian spoke the truth to you in a way that was not loving. Or to be honest, maybe it was a time when you were the one who was guilty of it. And you realized it afterward. It's very practical in the way those conversations go on. Part of it is your tone. I mean, your tone of voice. 
the, the tone that you have when you speak, when you speak the truth, especially a hard truth, can be loving or it can be unloving. Part of it is your manner as you're speaking. Things like body language and facial expressions and physical gestures. Part of it is the way that you go out of your way to surround hard words that you have to say with other words. Words that are tender. Words that are affirming as much as you can. Part of it is the way that you have a conversation like that at a time and place where your brother or sister is able to give you a good hearing. See, this gets very practical. There are loving ways to say what you have to say, and there are unloving ways. And here's the point. Practicing love as both the context and the character of our truth-speaking, that's a big part of our growing up in the body, because that's what Paul says here. He says, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So it's not just that love is the great commandment and it shapes the way we speak the truth. It's also that keeping that commandment in the way that we speak to one another makes a big difference as to whether or not we grow up in the Lord in the way that Paul is describing here. Because when love surrounds and marks our speaking of the truth, it has the effect of making the truth all the more lovely in our eyes. It stirs our desire to want the truth, to want it as fully and as deeply as we can possibly grasp it. So no, we we can't make the truth of God's word any more true than it already is. It just is. And that doesn't depend upon us. But we can make that truth look more or less beautiful By the love or the lack of love with which we handle it. It really is like a precious jewel. You do not fundamentally change the diamond when you set it in the ring. But you can make the diamond appear all the more stunning by the way that you set it. And the truth of God's word is just like that. That truth which is a stunning diamond. Well, set that diamond in love. As love is the context and the character of your speech. And suddenly, that diamond is all the more stunning. And that makes us all the more eager to grow up. To grow up into it. Into Christ, who is the head. Which is what Paul says there in verse 15. So that's one. Take a look at the next one. And again, these are on the back of your bulletin if it helps. Verse 25. Verse 25. Paul says this. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. Listen to it again. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members one of another. So what's in view there, again, is the same idea. We ought to speak the truth to one another in the church. And I will underline in the church 
And the reason I want to underline that is that, yes, it's true. The way Paul puts it there in verse 25 is to say, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Well, usually when we hear language like that, with his neighbor, what comes to mind for us is our relationships with everybody in the community, our neighbors all around us, say, in Fairfax and beyond. Why? Well, because we are a scattered people. Therefore, our neighbors are the people that we just have to deal with every day, everybody all around us, including people who know God and people who don't. That's usually what the language of neighbor love brings to mind, and understandably so. So let's be clear here. In these verses, in Ephesians 4, Paul is focusing not on our relationships with everybody, with our neighbors all around us in Fairfax and beyond. He, he really is focusing here on our relationships with fellow believers in the church, even if it doesn't sound like that at first. And you can tell that from what he goes on to say next, because he says, for we are members one of another. We are members one of another. Brothers and sisters, that's church language. That's body of Christ language. That's a matter of our relationships within the body. For we are members one of another. And it could be that the reason he he starts out by putting it in terms of neighbor love is that that's the way it's put in Zechariah 8, which I read for us earlier in our service. So maybe, whether consciously or not, the language of Zechariah 8 is so woven into Paul's mind that when he begins to speak about speaking the truth in the church, he naturally invokes the language of that ancient prophet, Zechariah 8. Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. This is something that ought to be true of us here, in this very room, in these relationships. So yes, we ought to speak the truth to everybody. That's true. But when it comes to truth-telling within the walls of the church, the responsibility is heightened. And you can get a good picture of this if you just stop and think about your natural relationships. So there are things that ought to be true of us all the time with our relationships with everybody in the community. But within the family, the responsibility is heightened. So, for example, if I ding somebody's car in the Walmart parking lot, which is a very real prospect because of the way that prospect, that parking lot is laid out, well, then I ought to tell the truth and leave a note. When I'm filling out my taxes, I ought to tell the truth and accurately claim charitable donations. So, yes, I ought to function that way in the community, in the world. But in the family, in the wolf household, it's only heightened. Why? Because in the family, we are members of one another. We are bound to one another. And so I have a responsibility to Christy that goes beyond my responsibility to the tax man or to my neighbor parked next to me in the Walmart parking lot. So it's true on a natural level. Well, the responsibility, the obligation to tell the truth is heightened in the family, including now the family of God. What ought to be true of us out there in the world, truth-telling, that especially ought to be true of us in here, 
in the church, in the family, in the way that we relate to one another, in our spiritual family. Verse 25. And then one more. Verse 29. As I say, this is a, this is a theme that's woven through this chapter. Look at verse 29. Verse 29 is a combination of the negative and the positive. He starts out by putting it negatively. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. Any talk that's bad, evil, unwholesome in any way. So, for example... Impure speech. In other words, things that we might say by which we make light of sin or even positively delight in sin so that we end up promoting sin. Also, false speech. Also, hateful speech. Also, reckless speech. You might say something that's true, but you've got no business saying it. Also, cynical speech. Things that we might say that give the impression that nothing's good, no one's to be trusted. Also, boastful speech. Again, even if it's true, you might go out of your way to point out your own accomplishments in a way that's obviously unnecessary and everybody knows it. Also, gossip. Again, even if it's true, you might say something about somebody else that you've got no business saying. Impure speech, false speech, hateful speech, reckless speech, cynical, boastful, gossipy. So many possibilities when it comes to corrupting talk that might come out of our mouths, including in the church. And maybe you've noticed this as well. Not only do we indulge in those sorts of speech sometimes, but we can be very creative when it comes to excusing it. Oh, that wasn't impure speech. I'm just a man of the people. And I use salty language sometimes, you know, to connect with people. Or, Or that wasn't false speech. I'm just attuned to alternative facts. Or that wasn't hateful speech. I'm just like Paul in Galatians. And Paul called people fools while I'm following his apostolic lead. Or that wasn't reckless speech. I'm just telling it like it is. That's who I am. I was born this way. No filters, no fear. Or that wasn't cynical speech. I'm just being realistic. I've seen too much to believe that anything or anyone can be good. Or that wasn't boastful speech. I'm just giving God all the glory for making me so incredibly special. Or that wasn't gossip. I was just sharing a prayer request. We need to pray for Bob. And let me tell you why we need to pray for Bob. You'll love this. We can be very creative when it comes to excusing the corrupting talk that might come out of our mouths. And not only that, but notice this too in the way that Paul puts it here. Something else that we have to notice about these sorts of evil speech that might come out of our mouths is the effect that they have. They don't bless. They don't build. 
Words like these, they curse, they tear down. And I suspect we all know this from our own experience. We all know what it feels like to be around somebody who talks in these ways, whose speech is marked in these ways. Whether it's impure, false, hateful, reckless, cynical, boastful, gossipy, we know what it's like. It's discouraging. It's destructive. It has that effect. It's frustrating. It's wearisome. Especially if you have to be around them a lot. In some situations, it can even be tempting to join in. And that itself can be one of the things that makes it so wearisome. The energy that you have to constantly spend being on your guard against that speech. And being careful so that you don't join in. And so you just don't want to be around people like that. You try to avoid them if you can. If you can't avoid them entirely, you try to get away from them as soon as you can. All because of their speech. Words like these, they do not bless, they do not build, they curse, they tear down. And Paul is saying here at the beginning of verse 29, we need to be on the lookout for those kinds of words coming out of our own mouths. It's not just other people out there. It might be you and me. It might be in the church. It might be in this church, New Hope. It might be in Christian circles, including Christian schools. We need to be on our guard against becoming the kind of people that other people want to avoid because our manner of speech brings them down. So that's, that's the negative side of this. The kind of talk that shouldn't be coming out of our mouths, but then happily, Paul pivots in verse 29 to put it positively. After he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But then he says this, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And just to read that is a relief. After thinking about corrupting speech and what it's like and what examples are and what it does to us, what a relief it is, what a breath of fresh air it is. To be reminded that there's a different kind of speech that's possible. Such as is good for building up. As fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And notice those three ways in which he describes it. First of all, it's speech that builds up. It has a positive effect. Right? It builds up. It has a constructive effect. It builds up by by reflecting good character. So that it encourages that character in others. It builds up by communicating the truth. Which helps other people to see and understand the truth. Speech that that builds up. What's second? He says it's speech that fits the occasion. It fits the occasion. The exact same statement might be perfect in one setting. And painfully inappropriate in another one. And it takes wisdom To know when words are called for and when they are not. And how beautiful it is when words are spoken that that fit the occasion. Proverbs 25 verse 11 says this. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. A word fitly spoken. Is like apples of gold in a setting of silver, Proverbs 25, 11, speech that fits the occasion. 
And then one more, a third, Paul says, it's speech that gives grace. And even that is extraordinary. When you think about the grace of God that we've known, to think that our speech might have the effect of of giving grace to those who hear us. That could mean that we say something explicitly with our words about the grace of God to sinners like ourselves. Or it could just mean that we say something that reflects our own inward grasp of that grace. Whatever precisely the words are. It shows in words that are kind and patient that we have known the kindness and patience of God. So that our words have a way of extending grace toward other people. So it's speech that builds up. It's speech that fits the occasion. It's speech that gives grace. That, positively, is the kind of speech that ought to come out of our mouths. And what does that look like? Well, we can take that terrible seven-fold litany that I gave you before, and we can flip them all and make them beautiful. Instead of impure speech, well, then it'll be words that reflect a love of purity and a repudiation of sin. How beautiful is that? Instead of false speech, it'll be words that are truthful and that reflect a love of the truth and a determination to stand for it. Instead of hateful speech, it'll be words that reflect a heart of love and that have love in them. Instead of reckless speech, it'll be words that are chosen carefully. And it will even be marked and interrupted by pauses that give you time to think about what you'll say next. Instead of cynical speech, it'll be words that reflect an openness to see the good wherever it's to be seen and to bask in it. Instead of boastful speech, it'll be words that reflect humility. Instead of gossip, it'll be words that reflect a proper regard for the reputations of others. Those are the kinds of words that build up. Those are the kinds of words that give grace. And brothers and sisters, this is not limited to religious words. This isn't just a matter of communicating gospel truth to one another, though that's part of it. But that's not the whole of it. You can have pure, true, loving, careful, hopeful, humble, kind words to say about anything. No matter what the subject is. Because they are all finally flowing from you. As somebody who has known the grace of God. And who wants to deal with others in that way. And who is viewing everything and anything in the light of that grace that you've known. And here too, I want to challenge you. Haven't you known this to be true in your own experience? Can you not think right now of people who are marked by this kind of speech? You spend time with them. You spend some time in conversation with them. And when the conversation's over, you feel the better for it. You feel refreshed because of the time that you've spent with them. 
and the words that you've heard from them, as well as their patient listening to you. Maybe not because of any particular thing that they said that blew you away. But simply because of the steady, beautiful character of the things that they said. And because it was so unlike the torrent of evil speech that washes over us in this world every day, all day. So, brothers and sisters, that's what Paul's got to say here in Ephesians 4. Those are the selections that I wanted to highlight today. That's what he says here about the church being the kind of community where we speak the truth to one another so that we're not isolated, even in the way that we come to see ourselves in the mirror. We need to be this kind of family of truth for one another. These past few weeks, we've been driving home the point that we want to be a people who know ourselves well in the light of God's word. We want that to be one of our habits. Well, then, let's be a people, let's be a family who are knit together in truth. I was even thinking, you might say this passage, this sermon, brings the whole sermon series full circle. In this sermon series, we started out months ago, and I know it was months ago, by talking about our life together as a church on Sunday mornings and the things that we do together as a matter of biblical habit on Sunday mornings in the church service. And then when we were done with that, we moved on, and this is where we've been lately, to talk about our habits and disciplines throughout the week. Well, now here at the end, we've come back. We've come back together. So yes, each of us wants to be devoted to the word, and that includes seeing and knowing yourself in the light of the word. Well, now we come back together to the church because we come back around to the importance of our being together and being knit together in truth. We need each other. We need our church family to be a family of truth in love like this, truth Spoken in love. By the grace of God, may it be so. And let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we worship you today. As the God of love and the God of truth. And you are our Father and we are your children now. And so we want to be like you. Even in the way that we relate to one another. In the way that we speak to one another. For we would know ourselves well in the light of your word, and we are prone to wander, we are prone to misperceive. So may our place in the fellowship of your people be a blessing, and guide us in the truth, the truth of God and the truth of ourselves. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen.